Turn your Bible to Psalm 62:11. Psalm 62:11. May we pray together. Our Father, we pray for these whose names we have mentioned and the requests that have come before us, both in Sunday school and in the halls before the service and in the hearts of every one of us. We pray for the hand of God upon each one. And we ask that this day would be a day that could be remembered in heaven. We pray eternal commitments could be made. We ask that you would give us a hunger and thirst for the power that belongs to us as a spiritual birthright. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 62, 11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Power is the word today. There's hydrogen power, atomic power, nuclear power, black power, white power, national power, political power, physical power, personality power. There's a power struggle among the nations each vying for supremacy. But the Bible says power belongs to God. In Psalm 62, 11, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. In Romans 1:16, the passage Brother Eric read a little while ago, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in Psalm 75, verse 6, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. And in Acts 1.8, the basis for our Sunday school lesson this morning, When the disciples said, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. There is a clear teaching of the word of God, ye shall receive power. Power belongs to God. It is the birthright of every Christian. Now what is this power? In Romans 1.16, ye shall receive power. The gospel is the power of God. The word in the Greek is dunamis. It sounds like our English word for dynamite. I think that's where dynamite comes from, dunamis. However, the Greek word for dynamite dunamis is like a seedling power. It is not some explosive thing that makes a big noise and a big show, but it is seedling power. You take a little seed, drop it in the ground, cover it up, water it, the rain comes and the sunshine comes and after a little while that little seed dies and from it there comes a sprout. It begins to grow and grow and grow and grow. After a while it bursts through the earth Then it comes out and it can produce several ears of corn. 
It can produce all kinds of vegetables. It can produce weeds. But that little seedling power dying brings forth something. Now the Bible tells us that the power of God is that dunamis, that seedling power that God puts in our hearts when we get saved. Not everybody has that. Wait a minute. Why does everybody not have it? Because everybody doesn't get saved. Merely walking to the front and crying some tears or making a shout does not put that seedling power there. That seedling power only comes when we open our heart and we invite Jesus to come in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. The germ of life is so filled with power that it will break forth into a life that is different. The greatest definition of a saved person is the word C-H-A-N-G-E-D, changed. Man, right. If there's been no change, if there's been nothing that happens inside of your heart that says, I have an affinity for the teachings of Jesus, for what God says, then that could have been just an outward form, not an inward reality. And I'm convinced that many of the visible church today have never received that seedling power inside. There's no evidence. Billy Graham says he believes 65% of the visible church are lost. J. Harold Smith, who preached in this pulpit many, many times, confirmed that in saying, I believe that perhaps 60 to 80% of the visible church have never experienced the seedling power of God in their lives. That's the reason we can have a church on every corner and we do not have enough spiritual power to change the culture. America's culture is going the other way. Years and years ago, everybody knew that premarital sex was wrong. When the book, The Scarlet Letter, was written, it was written because a person that committed adultery or fornication outside of marriage was told to wear a scarlet letter. Today, it's the thing. You go to home after home after home and you find somebody saying, well, I want to introduce you to my boyfriend. There are two or three children running around the floor. Well, I say, whose children? They're mine. They, they belong to us. We don't get married. We don't think that's necessary. There's no seedling power inside their heart that says this is God's direction. This is God's way. This is what the Bible teaches. We're involved in cheating. I read an analysis recently that said 85% of the college students cheat. You think of that. When I was in high school, there was a famous football star named Bunky Gruner. He was uh, in our class. He was a tremendous football man. He'd come in every Monday and boast about how many girls he had conquered. He went to college, and you may remember some of you old-timers, that years ago, 
they discovered in college some guys cutting points so that gamblers could win on a team. They would gamble, this team will win. They'd go behind the scenes and trade with some of the players and give them money so that they would not play their best and the other team could win. My friend was found in that. No seedling power inside that told him that was wrong. You see, the seedling power of the dunamis of the gospel changes us from the inside, Man. not right. the outside. Man. I've known of alcoholics getting saved and they still have some problems with their alcohol. Their heart was right, but they've had a hard time changing the outside. One of the men in our church years ago had an awful, awful battle with alcohol. And he'd talk to me and come to me and call me and say, would you help me get some rehabilitation? I'm, I don't want this thing. And finally, God gave him the power over it because yeah. there was seedling power inside that said this is wrong. On the other hand, I've met people who say there's nothing wrong with my drinking. I met some last night. I was inviting folks out of Riverside of the Revival, went on the porch of a family, and there were two or three drunks there. They said, I can worship God right here at home just like I can anywhere else. There's no seedling power inside. Members of a church, but no seedling power inside Amen. to say that that's wrong. Amen. The power of God in our lives comes from the Holy Spirit. In John 16, the Holy Spirit convicts. In Titus 3, 5, the Holy Spirit converts. In John 14, the Holy Spirit comforts. In Acts 1, 8, the Holy Spirit gives power, the ability to influence for eternity. If this is the believer's birthright, why is there so much weariness and weakness and staleness and lack of power and discouragement and quititis and lack of enthusiasm? Someone summed it all up in this little poem. A city full of churches, great preaching, lettered men, grand music, choirs and organs. If these all fail, what then? Good workmen, loyal, earnest, who labor hour by hour. But where, oh where, my brother, is God's almighty power. It is the Holy Spirit that quickeneth the soul. God will not take man's worship nor bow to man's control. No human innovation nor show of worldly art can give a true repentance nor break the sinner's heart. We may have human wisdom, grand singing, great success. There may be fine equipment, but these things do not bless. God wants a pure, clear vessel, anointed life and true, a man filled with his spirit to speak his message through. In Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. For let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and speaking, evil speaking be put away from you with all wrath. Amen. You see, the spiritual sins hurt us. Most of us are aware as believers that physical outward sins are wrong. I would know it's wrong to get drunk. I would know it's wrong to curse. Most of us would know it would be wrong to commit adultery. But what about getting mad? What about letting our anger flare up and get, boy, we get mad, something done go to suit us and we fly off the handle and we say all kinds of mean, ugly things to somebody? We grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. We also heard her testimony. And we rob our lives of that power that God wants us to have. God has given us the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit. There are some hindrances to that power. Hypocritical lifestyle, a form but no power. Too much levity, we laugh about everything. Pride, pride goes before a fall. Worldly mindedness, we love property and riches. We know more about the ball games than we do about the Bible. We do not fully confess or forsake our sin. David sinned. He covered it up for a while. Then when Nathan the preacher came to see him, he said, Thou art the man. You know what David did? Now he was king. He could have killed the preacher. But he was a Christian. That seedling power was already in his heart. And when he was confronted with it, he got on his knees before God. He said, God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this awful thing. God, forgive me. Man. A lot of people, when they're confronted with their sins, get mad at the person that talks to them. A lot of kids get mad at their parents because their parents correct them. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you're a Christian, you rob the power of the Holy Spirit Man. in your life right. by that honoriness. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. Sometimes collisions happen between husband and wife. Sometimes a wife will cheat or a husband will cheat. And there's roughness at home because the power of God has been robbed. You say, a Christian couldn't do that. Oh yes, David did. There are other Christians through the years that have done it, but they run the risk of spiritual bankruptcy. And they run the risk of a testimony that goes down the drain. Amen. And they run the risk of having to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and with great shame confess that. Unless they confess it ahead of time. If we confess our sins, speaking to Christians, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to Amen. cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, there's a three... Let me give it to you quickly. Number one, holy contrition. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Number one, holy contrition. Holy contrition. Say that with me. Holy contrition. That means ability to confess our sins. I'm assuming that you're saved. <coughs> that the power of God is inside. But you have grieved the Holy Spirit. We need to come quickly in contrite heart, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise, not faked or false. We confess our need. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit at conversion, but we grieve him. And we need to come back in spiritual commitment and confession. Number two, holy conduct. In Isaiah 59, <coughs> Verses 1 and 2. Listen to what God says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. If we're going to 
have that power of God in our lives, there needs to be a holy conduct. More holiness, give me. Be holy, for I'm holy. Don't make fun of somebody that, you know, you hear today somebody, well, he's a Mr. Two Good Shoes, or he's a holier-than-thou person. Well, we don't need to wear our holiness on our sleeves. We don't need to go about bragging about it. Other people will observe it if we're holy. Man, right. Holy means set apart to God. In 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen generation, a holy priesthood, a people of God, a peculiar people of God. We have mixed up standards. Our lifestyle is like the lifestyle of the world. Listen, young people, where do you get your standards? I thank God for some moms and dads that are godly and they hold up high standards for their kids. Sometimes kids, when they get to be teenagers, they don't like it. They want to wear what they want to wear and do what they want to do and live like they want to live. And they get their standards from where? Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Why look at that movie? Look at television. They're all doing it. If you want to get your standards from Hollywood and the movies, you'll not live a holy life. Man. I'm sure there must be some good movies out, but most of them are not holy. That is leading you to live a separated, godly life. I heard an announcement on the radio the other day about smoking. They said almost every movie you have, they smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke. You all that goes to movies, is that true? I don't know. You imagine putting before the people of America and the world the standards of the slums. That's what the street people do. I go to the medical center often. I don't know whether anybody here works at the medical center or not. You know what they had to do recently? They put signs out in the front, no smoking area, no smoking area. Why did they do that? Because when you'd enter the whole the, 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 the medical center, there were cigarette butts all over, everywhere. Just filthy cigarette butts. The, uh, the selfish people that smoke don't care anything. And that's the world standard. That's not God's standard. Man. Won't you be glad when you go to preacher someday done saying about cigarettes and liquor? Movies. As long as I'm here, I want to tell you, holy conduct is important. Amen. Amen. That's right. right. There's a man in our audience today who raised some of his sons. The last son at home lived with his daddy, and he literally reared him. There were certain hours to be in. There were certain things he could not do, and occasionally that young man didn't like it. But that man kept his son in church and in Sunday school and coming regularly. That man today is pastor of one of the great churches in Kentucky. Man. He heard God's tug and call because he had a daddy that held high standards. And those sons got a lot of their standards from their dad. He, I've told him sometimes he had, he had steel for a backbone. Holy conduct. In Proverbs 6, 16, there's a terrible scripture. 
You say, preacher, you ought not to call the scripture terrible. Listen to this, you won't like it either. Listen to this. These things doth the Lord hate. Seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to run mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Amen. Arnold Toynbee, the great intellectual man, toured America some times ago and he said, of the great nations that have risen to power and fallen and ruin away, America shows the seeds of the, the, the early seeds of three of the problems. Those nations died because of lust, luxury, and liquor. And that's where we are today. The movies, the television, the magazines, and sometimes the internet put forth lust, luxury, liquor. Talked to a young man yesterday, talking to him about getting a job. I said, when you want a job and you really want a job, and you really want a job, here's how to get one and keep it. Number one, go a little bit early. Dress right, look sharp, go a little bit early. Number two, during the break, work. Everybody else is looking for the break. When's my break coming? When's my break coming? I'm not going to work on my break. Shame on you. Work on your break. And number three, stay a little bit late. Ma'am, right. And when the employer is looking around for somebody to fire, he's going to keep you because you're valuable. Holy conduct. You say you're laying on us too hard a burden. Well, depends on what you want in life. Depends on what you want. Amen. Come a little bit early. Dress right. Work in your breaks. Stay a little bit later. Well, holy conduct involves a lot of prayer. You can't do it without a touch with God. I was in Korea several years ago. I was very impressed. Bay Kuksan was my interpreter, great, great young man. He's been here, preached here at one time, several years ago. Bay Kuksan would, would tell me now, preacher, I couldn't speak a word of Korean, and he could speak fluent English, and he was my interpreter. He'd come and he'd say, now, preacher, in the morning, you need to get up about 4.30, because we have a prayer meeting at five o'clock, and it takes about 30 minutes to get there. So I'd get up a little bit earlier than that and be ready. We'd go to this prayer meeting. And the place was filled. Now listen, nobody led the singing. Nobody preached. When they got in there, they got on their knees and they started praying. Everybody prayed right out loud. And we prayed for about an hour. And then we went back to work. Every morning, all across Korea, do you know why the North Koreans have not invaded South Korea again? I don't know how it is now, but then God put his guardian angels up there at the North Parallel. And he kept them from coming because he heard the prayers of God's people. Man. During World War II, nobody knows how nearly we lost that war in the beginning of the war. Our fleet was destroyed. Our morale was destroyed. And they didn't let us know 
that there were submarines along the eastern and western coast. They secretly erected uh, bomb places and places for, for uh, uh, munitions. I went there several years ago and saw them myself. Those places were there still where they were ready for the invasion from the Pacific Ocean. But there were people in America that went to church. Amen. They began to pray. And any of you who lived during the years from 1941 to 1945 knew that we didn't have all the drugs and all the stuff that's going on today and the thuggery and the gangs. We had people beseeching God to help us. Amen. During the Vietnam War, every Wednesday night, our church got on our knees for the servicemen. We had a number of servicemen there in Vietnam at that time. Their names were on our list. We listed them every Wednesday night and prayed. And I want to thank God for something. Not one that was on that prayer list. And I regret there was one that was not on the prayer list. I'll tell you about him in a minute. But not one on that prayer list either got injured. They all came home. Amen. Amen. There was one we did not have on there, and, and that's to my neglect. There was a young man who was a lifeguard at Camp Joy named Larry Hightower. I thought the church over at Brownsville was praying for him, and I should have had him on our list. He got killed. We had his funeral over at the little Larry Hightower Garden of Prayer at Camp Joy. What a hurt it was. But prayer often holds back the winds of affliction. Amen. And the winds of war. And the wounds that come. Let's pray. We need to pray. Then last of all, holy control. If we want the power of God in our lives, there needs to be holy control. In Ephesians 5.18, Scripture says, Not only shall you receive power, but power is a birthright. He says, Be not drunk with wine, wine and success, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You and I can do it, but we have to pay a price. We have to listen to God. I've told you many times stories of of how God had dealt with my heart on certain things. Uh, Roger and I were in a revival meeting in Owensboro years ago. And uh, got up one morning early, went to eat breakfast. And in that, uh, in that restaurant, uh, we were just sitting there talking about the revival meeting. And a whole bunch of men came in and sat around a table out in the middle. And they started cussing and swearing, telling dirty jokes right out loud. And uh, we just quietly prayed. And Roger said, uh, he was a very bold witness. He said, well, while they're doing all that, let's sing. So we started singing. Amen. Mercy there was great and grace. Well, we didn't try to sing real soft. We sang right out loud like they were doing. In a few minutes, there was a holy hush in that place. Amen. And those men all got up and left. The proprietor later came and said, some of those guys go to church. They didn't know what to think when you started singing about church holy control in our lives. You don't have to rebuke people. You don't have to be mean to them. You don't have to be ugly to them. Just take a stand. Just be what God wants you to be. Amen. 
I was revisiting the hospital one day, came out, there was a man cleaning the place at the old hospital hill, and uh, God said, you ought to speak to him about his soul. So I, I said, Lord, I will, maybe another time, but I'm in a hurry, I'm late for a meeting. I got, went to get in my car, and God said, I told you to go back and speak to that man. So I got up, went back, sort of embarrassed, and I spoke to him, put, brought up a little conversation. Finally, I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I asked him where he went to church, he told me. I said, well, let me just have a word of prayer with you. I prayed and got back in my car, and I said, Lord, that's strange that you would tell me to do that. God didn't say any more. That was it. That later after the afternoon, I was driving across town, and God said, you need to go in this house right here and speak to that man about Jesus. I said, Lord, I don't know who lives there. I've never been in there before. He said, I told you to go in there. So I pulled up in the driveway, got out, knocked on the door. A young girl came to the door and said, you're a preacher, aren't you? And I said, yes. She said, we've been expecting you. I went in, and the man came from the back of the house. He came in. He said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes. He said, I'm so glad you came. He said, I asked God to send me somebody Amen. today to tell me how to get saved. Amen. We got down on a little hassock, and I showed him from the Bible how to give his heart to Christ. He gave his heart to Jesus. Amen. I left. That man later died. His son is a member of our church. He wasn't at that time, but God began to deal in the heart. I want to tell you, when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, He'll take care. Amen. He'll show you what to do. He'll give you His authority and His power. Let's close our eyes in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed in prayer, this is Power Sunday. If you want the power of God in your life, it is the birthright of every believer. God wants you to have it. It takes holy control. Holy contrition, holy conduct. If you're here today and you've never been saved, or if you made an experience with God years ago, but you're not living up to it, and you have a hunger in your heart to get back to God, I want to ask you right now to ask God for the strength to walk down this aisle in a minute and take an open stand for Jesus. Will you do that? And as Christians, are you living where God answers prayer? Will you do what God tells you to do? Our Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is the answer to the need for spiritual power in our lives. Fill us with thy spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What's the number of our song? 163. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there is mercy with the Lord. Remember that sin oppresses you. If you want relief from that oppression, come to Him today. While we sing, while we pray, you step out for Christ.